Be Coastal at the Boatyard Restaurant, located at 1515 Southeast 17th Street Causeway in Fort Lauderdale. Here, you'll feel part of the yachting tradition of South Florida as you experience the Boatyard's hooked-table, seafood-eccentric menu with fresh catches listed by name of the fisherman who caught them. The Boatyard's open kitchen is also known for premium grilled cuts of meat and a menu that's sourced from local ingredients. Sit inside in modern nautical-themed rooms or dockside and watch the boats cruise by as you enjoy lunch, dinner, and Sunday brunch. Monday through Friday, the locals know that the Boatyard's happy hour is the best place to gather for bar bites and handcrafted cocktails at great prices. And don't miss out on Ladies' Night every Thursday. Call ahead to book your reservation today at 954-525-7400. Clear the airways. The Lunker Dog is on the air. Are you ready? This is the Real Guy Podcast. Hey, everybody. Welcome to the Real Guy Podcast. This is the podcast for real guys by real guys. Um, no stranger to the podcast, the president of the CCA for the chapter of Broward County here today, Mike Lambrex. Thanks for coming in the Lunker Dog Studios. Thanks for having me again, Jeff. Uh, love your podcast. Love everything that you do, everything you say and what you stand for and happy to keep coming back as often as you invite me. Well, <clears throat> and I think it'll be, you'll be back more often than not. Um, Mike um, lives in Fort Lauderdale and has joined um, and led the crusade um, for trying to make sense out of this crazy uh, infrastructure sewage issue that we're having. And I'm sure you guys heard about it. made national news. We set uh, world records as far as the biggest sewage spill ever, bigger than Exxon, bigger than BP. Um, now, granted, that was oil, but this is sewage, but we were bigger than that. So we did set the records for that. And um, one of the things that... Um, guys like Mike are doing is they're showing up to the city meetings and they're learning as much as they can as fast as they can and they are surrounding themselves with people that are like-minded and are trying to do the same. Mike, uh, first of all, thanks for being, you know, so concerned and actually showing your face. You know, most of these associations and stuff that are out there, um, I haven't heard a thing from. I haven't heard a thing from the manatee people. I haven't heard a thing from the turtle people. I haven't heard a thing from um, quite a few of these, you know, salt life type associations that are supposed to be out there, you know, fighting for sea life and wildlife. I have not seen that. <laughs> Am I missing something? Well, Jeff, I, I can't comment for any other associations or anybody else, but I can comment for what we're doing, and, and I would say that, I think any organization is as good as their people and as good as the people that are running them and as good as the volunteers that they have. Right. And, you know, these organizations, to their defense, if they don't have anybody in this grassroots effort or any boots on the ground, so to speak, there's only so much of a voice that they can have. And, you know, to have to have somebody here that's able to attend and see and, and physically be a part of what's going on in the community, I think, you know, s speaks volumes to the organization, but also speaks volumes to the people that really care about what's going on. And what's happened here in this city is, is, it's just nothing short of just pure sadness, really, if you think about it. Um, it's pathetic. It, it's, it is, it is, it, it, it's, it's pathetic. It's, it's really unacceptable. It seems to never end and 
unfortunately, it doesn't seem like there's an end in sight right now. And, you know, it seems like once one one spot is fixed, another one seems to blow up. And we're, back, we're right back to square one. And having, you know, a reported, now this is what's reported, 211 million gallons of raw sewage spill out onto our streets and ultimately into our waterways marks a 70% increase in what the entire state has done in sewage spills in a matter of 10 years. Right. I mean, those numbers, like you mentioned, the Deepwater Horizon, that was 200 million or 190 million or whatever that that number was. But it's just these numbers are unfathomable. And, And going to George English Park today on this second spill that's happened there, you just can't see an end in sight and seeing the amount of sewage that is flowing into the drains and flowing down the streets is just the most disheartening thing as a Fort Lauderdale resident, as somebody that is born and raised here that, I mean, I was on, you know, I've been on these waters since I was 10 years old. Right. You never think that this would ever end up being something that would happen. And you also would have the faith in your community's leadership to ensure that they're taking proper care of our environment and that starts with taking care of the infrastructure and it obviously hasn't happened and we have an environmental disaster on our hands and it just continues to seem to get worse right the um so kind of what you're telling me is as far as these association goes all these other associations similar to the city government it's a question of leadership and um Fortunately for us here in Broward County, you being with the CCA and, and getting involved, um, it's it's nice to see because we're not seeing it from the other associations. We're not seeing it from the city. Definitely not. Um, totally mind-boggling boggling to me that nobody, not one person from the city has even gone out of their way to ask me how I'm doing. I mean, you're talking about somebody that's a fishing guide here that uses these canals on a daily basis. And they know that my business and my life right now is totally devastated. Not one city official has come up and shaken my hand and just asked how I'm doing. And it totally floors me because they know who I am. They know how passionate it is to me. And the lack of leadership here in the city of Fort Lauderdale is just stunning. Stunning. It's concerning to me how... I've reached out to the appropriate officials in the city and they've been open to talk with me, but the follow through has been essentially non-existent. And for somebody who is not in the city's leadership like myself, I seem to be the one to be pushing the ball down the court as it relates to any action items, meetings, discussions, plans, or anything that's going on with the city. They just seem to curl up in a ball and hide in the corner if they can. And that kind of goes to the point of why nobody's reached out to you and checked on you. And I mean, they, everybody knows who you are. Everybody knows how active you've been in this, you know, in this whole, in this whole mess. And it's, it's just, uh, it's just unfortunate that. No, it's a true lack of leadership. Yeah. That they just, that they, that they can't, they can't reach out to the guy who's, who's kind of been running the, you know, running the, the activism on this whole thing and somebody that wants to help, and doesn't want to shove it back in their faces, but wants to be a part of the solution and wants to form the solution and wants to help. But maybe you're seen as the bad guy for some reason because you're so active and it just doesn't make any sense. Well, it seems to me, 
I mean, you know, from from the outside looking in, is there's definitely more everyday average Joe citizens that are really concerned about the problem that we're having. And um, thank God we got them. Because without them, we would have absolutely no support here in Fort Lauderdale. Zero. I think that this situation has brought light to a lot of people who just did not know any better. And it's easy, I think, to be complacent with not really knowing where what our waterways used to be like and what their potential could be. And I, I, I always tell people this story. I remember distinctly, Jeff, when you and I were driving back from Chukaluski, from our fishing trip in Chukaluski, and as we were going eastbound on 595, you were pointing out areas that are all developed that used to be mangroves and used to be thriving waterways and right. used to be estuaries for baby tarpon and snook. And, you know, these areas are all either mostly freshwater or polluted or developed or, you know, they're gone. They're just gone. And I remember telling you that I wish I lived back in the day where I could see what the waters used to look like and what the rivers used to look like because, or maybe I don't, maybe I don't, maybe it's better for me not even to know because it would probably even be more devastating for me if I knew what it used to be like 20, 30, 40 years ago versus now. And right. see, the thing is, is that what these, what the leadership of the city doesn't understand is You've been fishing and working and earning your living, and you've been on these waterways your entire life, essentially, for several decades, and you know more about these waters than anybody. Yeah, and uh, unfortunately, um, people that know something about the water here and have been around long enough to actually know something about the water here are becoming... The minority, big time. Like, when you grow up here and you, and you notice, like, you notice the change and you know that your, um, you know, your city's changed and you know that the environment is being damaged, but it happens slowly and it's a, it's a long process. And, and you can swallow that as long as the development and what's happened, there's some sort of um, responsible way on doing that. But not only Fort Lauderdale, but the whole state has been so irresponsible on the way they develop. You know, like, one of the things that I was trying to explain, um, or that I would like to explain to the city manager, the mayor, any of these commissioners, is the water system here is manageable. Meaning we can bring life back to the water here in Fort Lauderdale. It's not rocket science. I can take people to places here that have a small shoal and a small little bit of mangrove. And when you get to a place like that, you look around, you see life, you see birds, you see fish, you see bait, you see all sorts of stuff. But what we've done over the years is when we develop is we make it seawall to seawall, we dredge. And therefore you're just making a desert. Nothing lives in the middle of a desert, and we just keep making that. And then when we, we develop, we never replace um, what, we, what we've actually taken out. And we got all these rules and regulations for development on land and in replacing trees, and you have to have some greenery and all these different rules and regulations, but we have nothing like that 
zero for the intercoastal waterway. So what do we do? We exploit it. And what do the other companies do that are on the water here in Fort Lauderdale? They exploit it. But the people in the city have no clue that's even happening because they have not been around long enough to know the difference between using the water and exploiting the water. And I think it's a fundamental challenge. And I think when people go to the voting block and they actually are trying to decide who's going to be their city leaders, if they care, and I'm not so sure there's enough people that actually do care, but if they do care about swimming on the beach and they do care about fishing in the intercoastal and they do care about water sports and they want to be in Florida for those reasons, people have to change. You know what I mean? And it has to start with our local government. It has to start with our leadership. And the leadership that, um, that we're getting is zilch. Zilch. I mean, I've been living in this town for a long time. And we've always knew that the, um, the city government here was somewhat corrupt. But we could afford to live with it. At this point, at this day and age, things are getting so bad, especially with the, with the waterways, that we can't afford to live with it anymore. Thin as in, they say, but what's good about thin steak or a thin wallet or even thinning hair? The answer to these rhetorical questions is nothing. So why then is every brand of men's body wash weak and watered down? Any argument for using this crap to me is pretty thin. Enter Thick, a new product from Duke Cannon Supply Company. Thick earns its name by being three times thicker than the common body washes. It's the high viscosity alternative to watching your money go down the shower drain. Thick comes in a big-ass container, like you can crack open a beer. And it comes with four distinctly masculine scents that won't leave you smelling like a teenage boy. Thin is out, thick is in. I tried the different ones. I absolutely love the fragrances. I love the way the uh, packaging looked. But I think the thing that impressed me most was the way it lathered up and actually felt like real, you know, real soap. Not that thin body wash. Also, when you pick that thing up, it's like 17 and a half ounces. It's like getting a small workout in. There's some major bonuses with thick. A 17-ounce bottle is $9. Or you can get all four bottles for 30 You get free shipping with orders over $35. And there's a range of Duke Cannon men's premium products also available at all your local Target stores. Just remember, thin is out and thick is in. Visit DukeCannon.com and use the promo code OUTDOOR for 15% off your entire order. I think people will start seeing that there's a lot better alternatives to Fort Lauderdale. I mean, there's plenty of other places that take a lot better care of their environment, take a lot better care of their waterways because they appreciate what they have and they know that it was something that built the community that they have. And that's, you know, you hear all the time that, mayor and the commissioners and i'll talk about you know fort lauderdale being the venice of the americas and this town the city was built was built by the waterways here the we have a thriving marine industry here and it's in fact the largest industry in fort lauderdale it's the largest it's the largest industry in the state you know i would uh i didn't know that i didn't know that and most people think that the largest industry in florida is citrus the marine industry is almost four times the size of the citrus industry at this point in this day and age. Yep. I didn't know that. I'm learning now. You know what I mean? And to think that um, we're going to tinker with the, with the thing that's feeding the people in this state. So you got that deep water horizon thing. 
you know, that whole way of looking at it. Then you got the marine industry, which basically fuels and feeds the people in the state. And then the tourism. I mean, the tourism, people don't get it. It's not like they're not coming to Fort Lauderdale and going to Miami or not going to Miami and going to um, St. Petersburg between the red tide shit that happened last year and the red tide stuff that happened the year before that and Stewart and Jupiter and now the sewage spills we're getting all this negative press and we should be getting it but what are these people doing they're taking their money and they're going to enjoy the water not even in the country these little tiny countries like the freaking Bahamas in the British Virgin Islands, these places are loaded with tourists. And why are they loaded with tourists? Because they still have good, clean water. Yep. It's an attractive place to go. You know, you don't, you're not hearing about environmental crisis over, you know, over in those places. And you know, it was just an article that came out today that there was a Pennsylvania man that was looking to retire in Fort Lauderdale. He's changed his plans. And it, it, it I would expect to start seeing a lot more of that because if you think about it from the outside in, I mean, we, we live here, we're stuck with this right now, but what about the person that has the ability to, to choose anywhere on the map that they want to go? Why on earth would you want to come down here and live a retirement when there's sewage flowing in the streets? Especially if you're a boater or a fisherman, why on earth would you want to use these waters? They're polluted, they're toxic. You, you, I tell everybody, I mean, I, I personally would not be anywhere near the water unless I'm in Palm Beach County or Dade County. I mean, and that's a wide, that's a wide, that's a wide net to cast. I mean, that's, that's a, that's a lot of area. And, you know, generally I would say some of the areas further north of Fort Lauderdale are probably in okay shape, but current flows a long way. And, you know, this stuff can get anywhere and it just is not worth the risk of getting in the water anywhere near this. I cannot believe that it's come to this. Like the new norm is to think, is the water okay to even get in? Mm-hmm. I mean, think about that. People are actually thinking about that on a daily basis. Like, is the water even clean enough to swim in? Never mind for things to live in. I mean, this is a this is the new norm. This is the way people think. How about the people that are still using the waters, the waterways, and have no idea? There's no signage. You know, there's no. These people, they don't have any idea. You know, they're from they're from Canada. They're from the Northeast. They're here on vacation. I mean, this is our tourist season right now. People come here because we have beaches. People come here because we have waterways, and they want to come here and they want to use them. And for whatever for whatever reason, they obviously don't know because there's no signage posted at these ramps or these paddleboard operators are still doing business. And you know, but they don't really have a choice. At the same time, I mean, they they risk poisoning their customers is by allowing them to go in the water. And, and I spoke with somebody today that uh, said, you know, his son just bought a $1,500 paddleboard. He's used it twice. And, you know, he's in the army and he comes home and he wants to enjoy the water and he can't get on his paddleboard and go, you know, go paddleboarding. He's right in the middle of it. He's on the Hemershi canal. So, oh, Jesus. yeah, he's, he's, he's right in the middle of it. He was happy to get that phone call today. Um, but you know, it's, it, it's, it's just overwhelming. It's just overwhelming. And it would just be great to see obviously what's in the past is in the past with what could have been done with planning and beginning an, an overstructure or infrastructure overhaul. And now we're way behind the eight ball and we are panicking and you just cannot get all of these issues fixed 
quick enough and this will continue to happen and it's just it's just goes to show what position our leadership has put us in over the years and you know the other thing is too obviously they want to fix everything but at the same time it's you have people that are coming to them wanting to help fix the waters and help clean the waters and help them with the remediation process that they should be responsible for now let's put things in perspective bp paid out millions and millions and millions of dollars in fact cca do you know how many millions i don't even i have no idea but i would think i mean they got whacked they got and they were and they were like happy to pay yeah i mean it was they got off easy in in retrospect and it was millions and so and if not and it cost that company billions right and in general overall but there were a lot of projects and a lot of great things done for that area for the environment that were done with bp's dollars right and so if there was a particular multi-billion dollar company that was responsible for fort lauderdale's issues that we're having right now you would think that that company would be paying millions of dollars to be able to not only fix the issue but also remediate what the dam what damage has been done. Well, but, and and to pay for the liability of it all. Correct, and also again with BP to 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 compensate the captains and all of the folks that were working and earning their living on the water that no longer could earn their living on the water anymore. And there's just a lot of people that have been that have been affected by this that have not seen any sort of any sort of remediation in their own you know for their own efforts um and again you know we're talking about we're talking about government over here it's if this was a if this was a publicly traded company if this is a big multi-billion dollar company they'd, they'd be, be going bankrupt they'd be going bankrupt or writing a lot of checks and for lauderdale they just do not seem to be interested at all in getting serious about fixing or cleaning the waterways or at least just starting something and they have absolutely no plan no to rehabilitate with the with the sewage is just destroyed they've they've hired, they've remember at the meeting they talked about they hired this e-sciences company uh this e-sciences firm that's going to be doing a a evaluation of the waterways and also making suggestions on remediation but what i had asked you back when we were at that meeting is how does a company that doesn't really have a intimate understanding of Fort Lauderdale waterways and especially what it used to be like and what it should be like how can they make recommendations to fix or remediate the waters that they have no idea what condition they should be in or how what their you know what their what where their potential even, is yeah where it even came right. from right yeah exactly so you know it's just I think they're just checking more boxes and, you know, it just does not seem like they want to engage the people that are really passionate about this. And, it, and it's mind blowing to me. It really is. Well, I think it's the same old um, way of doing business for them. For the longest time, social media didn't 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 play a part. They could sit down there and make any decision they want. Nobody held them accountable. And they could basically through smoke and mirrors and deception, they could basically get away with, with anything that they wanted to do down there. I don't think that they're, um, I don't think that they're um, any different than most local governments. I think all these dudes have been getting away with holy hell. They've been getting away with murder for years. Mm. You know, you mentioned the Chukaluski trip. 
And um, we go to Chukaluski. How many people do you think live in Chukaluski? How many how many fingers are in your hand you got, you know? No, but seriously, how many? A few hundred? Maybe a thousand? A thousand people? Maybe. Live yeah. in Chukaluski? Not many. Did you know that their um, water treatment and sewage facility is totally fucking broken? And this is like the worst condition that you could ever imagine? I did hear that. I did hear that. So it doesn't have to be a big city. And you're talking about the only little city in the whole Everglades National Park for the most part. There's a couple little places down there once you get close to Marco Island, like Goodland and that other um, retirement community um, right before you get to Goodland on 41. You know, But really, there's nobody out there. And it's Everglades National Park, supposedly protected by the state and everything. And their sewage plant is in a shamble. So even there in the small city where supposedly people know what's going on, it obviously isn't a priority and hasn't been a priority. And now it's biting us right in the ass because they're not going to Everglades National Park to catch their friggin' bonefish and their redfish. And they're, they're going to Belize now. And they're going to Mexico. And they're going to Guatemala. And you can just name all the different countries that people go to to fish. Yep. It's killing me, dude. And, you know, to your point, it's been a statewide issue. Uh, I know the governor has come in and done a lot of things very quickly. But, again, we're talking, you know, we're talking many years of negligence of fixing infrastructure issues around the state, specifically as it relates to sewage-related infrastructure and septic tanks uh, under the ground that are leaking Mm -hmm. and have been a chief issue for a lot of our state's water quality issues so uh that's been another thing that has just again there's i guess government has better things to spend money on you know other than taking care of the environment first and what got this state to what to be what it is and yeah, priori- priorities are just totally priorities out of whack. Are, are completely out of whack and um it just to- it's just going to take the right leadership to be able to to put that to the to the top of the list and, and be able to get the job done and be able to put out a plan that makes sense. Uh, but it's, you know, in Florida, the state of Florida, it's to the tune of billions of dollars again, that we're going to need to be able to, to, to correct a lot of these things that have been building and adding up for years. Right. And, uh, you know, so it, it it's going to take a lot of effort, but, you know, again, to your point earlier, it's, I think, especially locally, I think once these people were so affected by what has happened with these sewage spills, is all of a sudden now everybody really, really cares. What really, I think, bothers me the most is for 20 years that I've been on the water down here in South Florida, uh, every year it seems that I've noticed the water quality just get worse and worse and worse and worse. And this is for 20 years that I've been on the water here. So... They just haven't seemed to do anything about it. And again, it's just complete negligence of, of what's happening with our waters. And they're pretty happy to continue to build. But what are the, you know, what, what's happening? Where are these, you know, this pollution that's coming from the, that's coming from building these buildings, it's draining into the river. You know, we have obviously all these sewage issues as well. And they're just, nobody, everybody put the, our waterways and our environment on the back burner. And it was at the bottom of the list somewhere, but developing and doing all the things that would make them look good. And 
put the city on the map for news, you know, in, 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 in news publications because of how much development we have and how much how, how much our city is growing. We completely forgot about where what got us here, where it all started. And, you know, that's what's been the most frightening thing to me is that it just all of a sudden now this is a problem. You right. Know, this wasn't a problem five years ago. This wasn't a problem 10 years ago, 15, 20 years ago, 30 right. years ago. Right. Now all of a sudden it's a problem because we got hundreds of millions of gallons of, of raw sewage spilling in our waterways. Now it's a problem. Well, we got some big problems to fix now that could have been fixed a lot easier 10 years ago. And again, I'm not living in the past, but at the same time, where is the priorities? Where is the leadership in? And even now, just just what are we going to be doing? Why are we not having discussions beyond, okay, we hired e-sciences to uh, conduct a survey of the water and test the water and and let them figure it all out. You know, let some company figure it all out. Because I mean, the people that we've elected in Fort Lauderdale and not just in Fort Lauderdale, all across the state, we have elected people that have no business being in there. They have no clue about the na- the natural side of the things that they're trying to govern. And it it's really it, it's the fault of the people. And um well it's said. it's sad, but it is. It's well said. How does the um, what's going on behind the scenes at the CCA? I mean, what are you guys talking about in there? I mean, is this like conversation that you guys are having at your meetings and stuff? Yeah, I, I, all the time. I mean, and, you know, and, and as it relates to the state organization, it's one of it's unfortunate because it's one of many, 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 many issues around the state that is just an overwhelming, tall overwhelmingly tall hill to climb because there's just so much going on and Fort Lauderdale adding on to it was just, you know, I, I would say the straw that broke the camel's back, so to speak. But I mean, it's just, you know, these are daily conversations about where, about the advocacy for within our state and within our membership to understand the issues that we're having and what solutions can be had to be able to help this process and help whatever courses of action need to be taken to be able to move along. So, but like, are the guys in the CCA? Do they feel like we're at the, a point of, a, of, a, of a, just a straight crisis at this point? Absolutely. I mean, when you look at when you look at what ha- what's happening with Mosquito Lagoon. Okay. I mean, this is not the only issue. I mean, you have you have bodies of water that have been teeming with life for years now are completely devoid of grass or life or anything and and so i mean these are like i said it's not only for it's not only for lauderdale but i mean it's 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 areas that have vast environments that are well more you know way larger than fort lauderdale as far as the marine environment is concerned and so you have issues like that where there's remediation and, and a lot of projects going on a lot of attention going there you have you know, you have things going on with the Everglades. You have things going on with fixing infrastructure, which ultimately, I mean, ultimately, it, it seems to stem from one to the other. And if you start somewhere, especially with the infrastructure, to, with the infrastructure task, you can knock a lot of these projects down and begin to remediate and begin to fix things and stock more fish in the rivers and the waterways and plant more seagrass and, you know, just do the things and, p- and put more oysters in the water. Again, that's another thing is, you know, that's a whole other conversation, you know, but it's just. Uh, well, we're I want to talk about that in a few minutes. But I just, so do you see the CCA um, starting to change its agenda because of what they're seeing? I mean, things that like, I mean, I'm sure there was goals and stuff that the CC had 
the CCA had, you know, last decade. Yeah. I mean, you get, are, are you seeing the change because of this type of stuff? Yeah. Like with I, the agenda and what, what you guys are trying to accomplish? I would say so. I would say over the over the previous, you know, years, a lot of the work that was done was doing, was legislate was legislation related like the net ban. Okay. I mean, so the CCA was a huge part of the net ban. Gotcha. And so kind of controlling, controlling the things that were destroying fish populations and the you know and it's essentially our environment from you know from commercial standpoint was a big part of the organization and what 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 kind of brought the organization up um long line was another thing that we were a really big part of so as that conversation has shifted away from and, and by the way we still spend a lot of money every year and have a lobbyist full time to continue to defend that because once you've gotten rid of it they don't stop trying to get it Right, Back. it's a constant battle. It never it's a constant stops. battle. It's it's a constant battle. It's a revolving door of people coming in and trying to get that reverse. So it takes a lot of resources every year to be able to keep that the way it is right now. So, but either way, I would say most of the conversation right now with us in Florida um, at CCA is is absolutely water quality. Is absolutely water quality. So a huge shift then. Oh yeah, for sure. Yeah, okay. absolutely. Um, there's no doubt about it. Good, because um, it makes me feel good because, you know, um, I know you guys got a lot on your plate over there at the CCA, but, you know, um, people lean on them, you know what I mean? And um, whether, they, you know, whether, whether they like it or not, you know, it, it's tough to get leaned on all the time. And um, it's just good to know that the CCA is evolving and is trying to get ahead, you know, on subjects like this. Because we're going to need it. Like, we're going to really need it. And like I said, you know, we're only as strong as our leadership. We're only as strong as our membership. And the more voices that are heard and the more people that get up and join and be a part of it. And if you're skeptical about being a part of anything or joining or whatnot, at least get involved and learn more. Right. Or make the effort. But just make the effort. Whether you can't, If you can't with your time, you can do it with your wallet. And... If you can't with your wallet, you can do it with your time. And, you know, we just need more of a collective voice out there. And so the organization has grown in leaps and bounds up to around 19,000 members in the state. But we can easily double that. And we can easily have double the voice that we had before with our membership and make more of an impact. Um, But I would definitely say that the trend has definitely been toward... Toward the concern of the state's overall water quality and toward people really starting to understand that there are people out there and there are organizations out there that are making every dollar and every minute count and push as far as they can push that time and that money. Right. And this organization was is a grassroots organization. I mean, it grew and it was founded upon, you know, on, you know, in a grassroots in a grassroots manner. And so, again, uh, I'm a volunteer for Broward County. I, I don't get paid a dollar by this organization, but I do. I am thankful for the organization because it's really opened my eyes to all of the issues that we have around here. And it's also given me an, a- an avenue to have a leg to stand on and to have a voice mm-hmm. behind a well-respected organization to be able to work on 
at least beginning to fix and solve some of these issues that we're having. And I always wondered, and I always thought, asked myself for many years, how can I, you know, as this one person, I'm just this, this single guy here, you know, how, how can just one person make an impact? And it's, you know, getting behind an organization that has a lot of firepower and doing the things that really count and the things that you care about. Right. And, but, you know, I can't do it all on my own and you can't do it all on your own. And, you know, the other guys that have been activists in this whole thing, they can't do it all on their own. So, I mean, I know a lot of people lean on us to do this work, but at the same time, I mean, never, we're going to have to have more people get up out of their chairs and say something. Right. And do something. Let's talk about that a little bit. Out of, out of, out of all the people that you've seen rise up um, out of the local community, have you made some new friends? Have you made some new contacts? Have you learned to appreciate some people a little bit more? I learned a lot about I've learned a lot about several people in this process and um and obviously I mean you're one of them but beyond be, besides you the show is you know Well we kind of knew each other before right. that and we did stuff together before that but I'm talking about guys that like stepped up you know what I mean I was impressed by by Mitchell uh, especially at the uh at at the at the commission meeting Right um, I thought it took a lot of courage and it, it it took preparation and he obviously was you know prepared and you know he, while he was nervous it it i thought it was just I, I thought it was a great thing what he did and and you know we need more people doing that you know and exactly. and, and you know it, it's not a comfortable position to walk up there and speak in front of everybody and it's not it's even worse when you get laughed at and you get mocked by the people you're speaking to yeah and and for the for the audience if you don't know what uh, mike's talking about um mitchell vitale um he's he's a uh, Really nice guy, um, very concerned, grew up here in Fort Lauderdale, born here in Fort Lauderdale. His mother lives down the street and just a really concerned citizen and really knows about the waterways and really knows about fishing. Mitchell shows up to the city meeting um, last week and it's his turn to talk to the mayor and the rest of the city officials. And he basically is just pleading for more action, pleading for more help and you can tell it was just destroying um, Mitchell, what was going on around town. And the response that the mayor and some of the people um, that are supposedly the leaders of the city basically belittled um, Mitchell and what he had to say. And what happened was is um, all this stuff gets filmed. And that belittlement got posted on social media. And people could see a citizen that actually cared about what was going on, getting abused by the so-called leaders in town. So, I don't know, hopefully that clears it up a little bit for the audience that doesn't know Mitchell. And Mike obviously was impressed with that. And the way it worked out is pretty weird because at first, poor Mitchell thought that he was getting kicked in the teeth and laughed at and mocked and that nobody would care. But then when people saw what actually happened, it actually was more effective than... We ever could have imagined. And how about, you know, and, and props to props to Mitchell for that. Just, you know, that's that's a, just a tough position to be in. And even, you know, shoot, if that happened to me, I don't think I'd handle it as well as Mitchell did. So, I mean, it, but, it, you know, it just goes to show the it just seems like a joke. Why is it a joke? Why is this? Why is any of this a joke? Why is why is a constituent that's voicing a concern that took the time to prepare and show up to the meeting? Why is that a joke? Um, well, it might be a joke because they don't count the votes in this county. 
We got a problem with counting the votes. I mean, if, if nobody's going to count the votes, I mean, I can see the mayor being thinking a joke at everybody. Who cares? That's a damn good point. But <laughs> we're always getting on national media for something. Yeah, it something always... absolutely nuts, like somebody that can't count votes or somebody that dumps more freaking poison in the ocean than Exxon did. It's always something with Broward County. It's 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 an embarrassment. But uh, you know, there's a lot of great people in this community. There's a lot of, especially the natives that are here. Um, you know, these people care more about this place than anything, and and we don't want to leave it we want to be a part we want we, we want to continue to live here i want to continue to live here i want to raise my family here and i'd love to be a part of, of making this place better and you know another person i wanted to mention was kevin cochrane and and this guy uh i mean i don't even know i mean you you asked me about somebody that i've met in this process and when i i remember when we first went to uh cooley hammock and we sat down. And I was like, who the hell is this guy? Right, right. And uh, I was like, all right, we'll see him out and see, you know, and whatever. And I think he just kind of popped up randomly. You didn't know him before, right? I didn't know him before. He was obviously um, he was obviously a concerned citizen about some of the overdevelopment that was going on in the city. And then um, and how the um, politicians basically have neglected the city. So he was into that before um, the water stuff. But when the water stuff happened, it was totally shocking to him. And, yeah, he stepped up big time. Boy, what a leader he's been. What a leader. I, I don't even know where we'd be as far as, you know, activists and this whole thing. And, you know, without a leader like him stepping up and just being a big part of this. And it takes a lot of time, as you know, to to, to, to be active in this whole thing and to be a part of it. And, and he's just been dialed in since day one with it. And I have to give him all the credit in the world. I would say as far as meeting people and and and, and getting to know people. Right he's been the best one of the bunch, you know, and he's, it's been a gift. He's, he's a gift of Fort Lauderdale and our leadership should really, should really listen to this guy and, and really, and, and really bring him in a lot more. And he, cause he just cares. All right. Have you, have you, have you been able to, um, um, get to be friends with people from that nine, five, four paddle crew? I want to, uh, I know that I, I, is it that they're taking they're they're able to get the data from the testing. Is that from the surf rider foundation? Well, they, What's the deal with that? Well, I, th- those, those were some of the people that impressed me through all the meetings and stuff and how they stepped up and yeah. actually, you know, showed real concern. And then they started doing their own independent water tests and, um, their tests, um, they buddied up with the Surfrider Foundation, and they decided to take their own water test because of health issues as people are paddling in the intercoastal. And um, totally, totally has changed the game with those test results. And they're expensive, too. I didn't. I had no idea how expensive those how ex- tests are. How expensive are they? Well, I talked to Bill Demler. Right. And, um, and Bill wanted to purchase some for his, you know, for his own efforts and uh he basically told me i mean they're roughly a thousand to fifteen hundred dollars for like four different tests really yeah i was shocked by how expensive they were unless they have a cheaper way of doing it uh you know it's i I was shocked you know and and so it was funny because i was talking to a gentleman today the the gentleman that lives in the hammersheet canal and he was like hey can you you know when you come to and this is another subject but when you put the oyster catcher in and that's over for an oyster project and we'll get to that but when you when you come over to the house and do that, can you take a sediment sample? Can you? I want to see how toxic these waters are behind my house. And so I've been wanting to do that on a couple of test sites. Once we do that, to see if first of all, if we can sustain life and oyster growth in waters that are toxic, which we probably all know the answer to that. Right. Um, and secondly, you know, to his point, this guy's been living. This guy's lived in Fort Lauderdale for fifty years, and. 
you know, it's just amazing because you see the city, he doesn't believe the city's testing at all. You see the city's testing and then you see the testing that's done independently. And there's just so many red flags that are raised on the independent testing. You know, it seems to me that the only way to really do it effectively is to be doing it independently. And thank God for the, for the 954 paddle folks. And the, yeah, and I had no and, clue that it was that expensive. Oh, yeah, I, I didn't either. I thought it would be, I, I have no idea but what it, what it should cost, but I had no idea it was that expensive. Yeah. Yeah. And, and Bill Demler, he's another one that uh, has been very consistent trying to deliver the message, trying to, you know, make people aware of what's going on, not only here in Fort Lauderdale, but the rest of the state. Julian Siegel from Tarpon River Brewery. Guy's been a gem. We've been able to use mm -hmm. his facility. As a matter of fact, that's where I first met Kevin. Um, we did sign making over there. And I went on a, the reason I'm bringing all this kind of stuff up is because we're going to end the podcast um, on some of the good things that have happened because of the catastrophes that we've been happened. And to watch some of these guys, um, people in the community actually step up and, and show that they care um, makes me feel good it makes me feel makes me get gives me some hope now the cca um is going to start um an oyster farming project here is that correct it would i would say i would call it more of an yeah i mean you could call it that it would be an oyster restoration project okay and the first phase of the project essentially is the most critical because it is gathering data and it's us going and using a hundred different docks in Fort Lauderdale uh, in several of the different neighborhoods, especially the ones that have been impacted the most by the sewage crisis. And it's, for, and it's being able to take samples of what water temperature is like at the time that we're placing what we're placing is an oyster catcher, which essentially is a device that hangs in the water that will capture oyster seed as it flow, free flows in the water during when oysters are reproducing which happens twice a year happens as the water begins to warm which down here roughly around april okay. give or take um this year there's the last several years march has been a cooler month than normal so it's been pushing our deployment back a little bit um and then the other time of the year is when the water begins to warm um i should say actually when the water begins to cool in the fall okay. so roughly around september and so what we're doing is we are CCA has funded a habitat project for uh, for Broward County specifically for us to do in Fort Lauderdale to put these oyster catchers in the water at 100 different sites so we have 100 of them sitting right now ready to go and you hang them basically vertically from a dock they're about the size of both of your hands so they're not very big it's like a they look like they look like a large donut but the donut would be made of like a dirty mop. That's kind of what it looks like. It's okay. not the prettiest thing in the world, but it's effective, and that's what we care about. All right. And so that hangs in the intertidal zone in the water, and went during the reproduct during the reproductive season for uh, for oysters, the seed will able will be able to latch on to this medium, this this surface, which is specifically designed to be a good surface for oyster seed to be able to latch onto right and then the oysters actually will grow natively right on that right on that surface and so ultimately the goal is after 12 to 18 months is that you'll have this object that'll be covered in oysters so we're going to learn several things from this and we're first of all we're going to learn what what species of oyster it is a lot of people don't know i mean there's a number of different species but down here specifically there's only two different types of oysters that that exist down here it would be the the common eastern oyster or it would be the mangrove oyster okay we have no idea what areas 
are what if they're all eastern if they're all mangrove if there's a combination of the two we just nobody knows okay so that's the first thing we're working with a scientist at the university of miami to help us determine the species of oyster and then we're also determining based on the measurements the measurements we're taking at the sites um, water temperature and salinity and so what we'll be able to do is we'll essentially be able to determine or have a very a much better idea of what conditions do these oysters grow under or in and what conditions in the environment can they sustain growth right and in what areas is that happening and what areas is that not happening gotcha now the areas that it's happening in can be a lot more obvious in the areas it's not happening in but we want to know a little bit more on the areas that are not happening so we know that there's factual data that we've gathered that we can work off of now instead of just assuming and guessing things now when you guys do the oyster project are you guys going to come in and do water testing we're going to test every site for salinity and temperature salinity and temperature okay mm -hmm. so we have a we have a we, we, we bought a, a meter for that essentially to be able to test that and i think salinity obviously is going to play a really really big role in it but um, temperature will be interesting as well to see under what conditions do will we start seeing better uptake and better recruitment on on these devices you know and what temperature range generally the warmer they are the warmer the water the faster the oysters will grow right um, but this is not this is a, more of a pilot program for the next phases of our pro of our of our project and so once we've learned and determined this data we're going to go to different areas that we feel that used to have oysters and this is where you know you would come in as well and and, and, and offer your experience on what areas you know have lost oysters or what areas you know used to have great sustainability for these and um and then it would be to be able to take the native oyster grow them on in areas that we know grow very well and have help from homeowners to be able to grow them on these catchers and then take these catchers and transport them and actually start a living shoreline and and seed areas that are dead need now. that are dead now or that need help or need that kickstart to get going yeah one of the um you know w when you posted information about doing the oyster project online of course you get all the experts you know all the people that want to yep. tell you why it's great and you're going to get people of course that are going to tell you why it's it's totally going to fail mm -hmm. and you know some people want to look at these projects as like oh well that's a nice little feel-good project and they kind of hide behind that and i don't look at it that way i look at it anybody that is trying to figure out the water quality issues that we're having here, whether it's to grow oysters, whether it's to filter the water, whether it's to find out the salinity or whatever it may be, is a great thing. Because as far as I can tell, I know the city hasn't had any real documentation of the water. Either as anybody else that I know, the best documentation you can get are a few dudes like me that actually fish out there on yep. a daily basis, and you can get my sorry-ass opinion about it. That's about it. That's very true. And that's that's the other thing is like, so this project, we had, it's been in the works to get it funded for the last, I don't know, I'd say the last couple of years. And so we've been wanting to do this because we know that water quality in Fort Lauderdale sucks. And right. secondly, um, you know, we know that being able to do this is going to, first of all, help us learn a lot, but secondly, be a great contributing factor to helping to filter more water in Fort Lauderdale and bring more more life to Fort Lauderdale. And obviously you bring more oysters to Fort Lauderdale, you're going to have more bait fish. You have more bait fish, you're going to have larger fish. We'll have more snooks, more tarpon. And so, and, and other fish and jacks and catfish and, you know, crabs and, and anything all, that anything. lives for grain out loud, it's, because the, the water, there's a, there's parts of our water system right now. It is just totally dead. Mm -hmm. Nothing, no life, mm -hmm. any life 
is good life. Yep, I agree. Well, and maybe that might not be totally true, especially when we're talking about environmental issues. But, like, we you know that bacteria taking off like crazy. But we you understand what we're getting at. Yep. It's like, right now, nothing is thriving in the inshore waterways. My perspective is what we're doing is the absolute tip of the iceberg, but... You know, it's a start. So all I can say is there's people out there that are doing something and actions speak a lot louder than words. And this is something we were actually going to get started before whether this crisis happened or not. This is something that was going to get done no matter what. So, you know, the fact that at least there's people out there that are that are actually doing something and, and taking a scientific back backed approach to it, you know, I think should speak volumes. Um, but. You know, our, our vision with this is down the line is to be able to find an area or several areas, get permitted with the FWC and DEP because there's permitting. You can't just go and start planting right. living shorelines in places uh, and and be able to start to contribute to that. And, it, and at least if we can show the city or the state that this is a project that has legs, you, you know, let them let them be able let them add some leverage to it right. and we can scale the project. But mm-hmm. unless somebody starts to do something and show something, we're just going to continue to keep talking about it, and nothing's going to get done. Does that sound familiar? Yeah, sounds very familiar. Sounds like the city meetings that I've been going to yeah, exactly. for the last friggin' eight weeks. Mike, uh, thanks for doing the podcast tonight. Um, hope everybody learned a little bit. But from the bottom of my heart, thanks for stepping up and being a leader in the community here because um, there's definitely a lack of leadership. Um Thanks for helping the other people in the community uh, contribute. And um, I look forward to working with the CCA and especially you on helping um, rehabilitate the, the, the waterways here, the system here, because um, we're gone from conservation to rehabilitation. Once you've killed everything, there's a whole not a whole lot left to conserve. So at this point, um, in a lot of areas in this town, um, we're going to go from conservation to rehabilitation. And um, I'm going to help you with that oyster project the best that I can do. And um, I'd like to come up with two or three other projects that I think will revitalize and rehabilitate the water system here. And it's just great to have somebody from the CCA that is willing to go ass to ass with you, jump in and fight. Well, I won't jump in the water, Jeff, but. But you'll jump in to fight. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Anyway, Mike, thanks for being here tonight. And um, good luck with the uh, Oyster Project. We'll do more uh, podcasts about it to keep you guys up to date on um, exactly how it worked out. Um, thanks for being part of the Real Guy Network. And uh, run that dog. <laughs>